This is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Well, guys, you're going to love this. We have a friend back on the podcast again who actually our last conversation ended up in my book, Find Your People, because it so impacted me. And I wanted to dig in deeper into the things we talked about the first time. So Jay Biro, it's so good to have you back on the show. Thanks for coming back. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this second talk. Yes. So, so to give everybody a little recap, talk just very high level about your story in case they missed the first episode. In a nutshell, I was born and raised in a place called Matare. Uh, Matare is in Africa, Nairobi, Kenya, for those who don't know. Uh, grew up in a family, a uh, single family of just my mom and my brothers, just four brothers. My mom uh, was trying everything possible to put uh, food on the table and just the, the normal things that any parent could do. And uh, the only job that she had that was there to sustain us was uh, selling illicit uh, liquor, which she called Changa. And so she did that for a while. And then at some point, it became so hard for her to do it. And so, you know, we started having uh, normal problems in Madara, not everywhere in the world, in Madara, whereby, you know, lack of food, uh, days without food, or even when you get food, it's not like quality food, it's not balanced food. So it's anything that you can get just to get your, your belly full. Uh, one of the biggest challenge was a uh, lack of mentorship and uh, somebody to, you know, to talk to. My dad was never never there. My, my older brother was also in the same problem. There's no way he could help me. And so... Because of all those things and those problems, I ended up going to the streets of Nairobi, which is the capital city of Kenya, and I became a beggar. And I was begging to find anything to eat, and then I would take whatever I would find back home to, to my family. And at this point, my mom had tried uh, or attempted suicide. And so we we started living with, with my grandmother, where we were not the only kids there. Other cousins uh, and aunts were staying with her and she didn't even have a job herself. And so anytime I would beg anything from the street, I would go home and I would feed all of those guys. But then when I didn't, when I would go to the streets and I didn't find anything, uh, I would have to go back and tell them we didn't have anything. And so that means they would go to bed hungry because uh, I was just eight years old and an eight-year-old kid could not get anything for them to eat. And so that became a challenge. And uh, when I would tell them we don't have anything, and so that led me to thinking, okay, what else can I do? So I joined a group of young people who were stealing and I became a thief. And I wasn't so lucky because at the age of nine, I was arrested and I went to prison. And going to prison, as bad as it sounds, it was much better than uh, the alternative. And uh, for me, that was probably my darkest moment being in prison and not knowing what's going to happen next, or not, not knowing what my life is going to be like. Um, of course, I only the only thing I wanted was to get out of prison and out of poverty. Uh, the only way I, know how, I knew how was to pray to God. And so I knelt down in prison and I prayed to God and I asked, asked, actually asked him for those two things, to get me out of prison and out of poverty. Uh, I didn't know how that was going to happen because, of course, I'm just praying because I wasn't a believer, but I knew about of God. And so I, I was like, you know what, let me try this. I did. Um, and his own ways, I, he got me out of prison. But then the other part was still hanging around. How am I going to get out of poverty? Because I'm still going to be poor. I'm, we are still poor. We still don't have anything to eat. I'm still going to need something to eat. And that's where compassion came in. And uh, the unique thing about compassion is that it, it wasn't like compassion, the organization. It was the church. Because compassion works with local churches in, in these communities. And these churches come around and you know try and look for kids that are needy. And they actually need help. And so I was among those kids and I was enrolled into the program and, you know, 
the rest is history. Now I became part of a compassion family. They took care of me. They took me back to school. Out of prison, I was sick. I got malaria in prison and they took care of that. And, you know, eventually I got a sponsor who, you know, impacted me uh, with, you know, telling me about life and and godly living. And now I live here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of two. And I'm so happy that somebody actually took a chance and they sponsored me and they got me out of prison and out of poverty. Well, it's an incredible story, Jay. And thank you for sharing it with us again. It's unbelievable how much life experience you have had. And I want to talk about the end of our conversation last time. We started talking about community and that was a highlight for you. Your your eyes lit up a little bit when you talked about the people that looked out for you and the way that your grandmother had an open door to kids in need. Talk a little bit about what life was like in the positive as far as people looking out for each other, even in the slums. Yeah, uh, I think that some, it was kind of like a unwritten rule. It's not like uh, we just say, hey, you have to take care of each other. It's just like, hey, we are all of us here. We are all needy. And I, I guess because we all understand what it is like, like, like for example, if I'm talking about uh, going to bed hungry, I know how that is. Uh, there's an instant when I was in school and my, my time was empty. I think I had not eaten, I don't know how many days. And I remember drinking water uh, and I felt as though something cut through my, my, my belly. I didn't understand what that was, but apparently when your stomach is totally empty and then you just drink water or something like that happens. So I experienced something like that. So if somebody comes to me and tells me they're hungry, I remember that sharp pain, you know, and my memory will always go back to that. And that's years and years ago. And so being that we've gone through such, we live in a community whereby if somebody would come and say they're hungry, we we'll know how to do that. Uh, just like I mentioned about my grandmother, being in my grandmother's house, it was not only the children that, that belong to the family. It was other children who would be like, man, I don't have anything to eat. I don't, have, I, don't, I don't have anywhere to eat. They always knew they can come to my grandmother's house and would sit there and the meal that she had prepared for the whole family should eventually start adding more plates. <laughs> and so it would come from, hey, five, six plates. And then all of a sudden, oh, we have five more kids coming in. It's the same amount of food. Then we start spreading it around. And as a kid, to be honest with you, I was unhappy <laughs> because sure. I'm like, my portions are getting smaller. My portions are getting smaller. The more kids are coming in, my portions are getting smaller. But after growing up, I look back, I'm like, man, that was such a blessing that she could find a way of sharing whatever little thing that she had with everybody that would be around. And that was not only my family. It was something that was in the community. If if somebody was cooking and other guys weren't, weren't cooking, and you know, for us, we actually don't, I don't have to tell you that I'm coming to visit you. I would just show up in your house. And if it's dinner time, we'll all eat. And so we learn to live in that communal way, like uh, I'm cooking and I don't have salt. So one of salt is one of the hardest things that sometimes we not hard, it's very cheap, but sometimes you don't have it. Like it's not one of the things that you remember, but you could be cooking and you don't have salt. Then my grandmother or my mom would be like, hey, do they go to the next door neighbor and ask for salt. Matchboxes, like anything that you need urgently and you don't have it, you can easily go to your next door neighbor and ask. And so... We lived like that, and that's how we would, hey, I don't have this, but this somebody has this. Like, I have this, I can share. And so that's how we lived uh, as a community. And I looked back and I'm like, thank God we had each other. Talk about what a culture shift it was to come to the United States and to see how people lived here in relationship to each other. I, I would start by saying, I think uh, one of the culture shock is how people live, keep it to themselves. Like I said, for us, we would be, uh, 
would share whatever that we had. If, if I'm sharing anything with you, that means we can even conversation-wise, like I can just meet you, I don't know you. Hey, how are you doing? And we can we can even talk for like an hour. Here, before, when you meet somebody and you start talking to them and they don't know who you are, it's kind of like weird to them. Like, who are you? Like, what are you trying? Why are you trying to be friendly? Some people take you being friendly as though you want something out of them. And so that is one, that was one of the hardest part. Uh, the other thing is uh, the part when it comes to, you know, we we share things. Americans, yes, Americans love to give. There's a difference between somebody who likes to give and somebody who likes to share. Somebody like, oh, here, I can give you this. But how about I have a drink? <laughs> I'm going to drink half and then you can drink the other half. That's, that's not common here. And uh, people here are just like, you know what? I wake up in the morning, I do my stuff, and that's it. You, you don't come, you cannot interrupt my schedule, basically. If you do, it's those of like, uh, I can give you a few minutes. So for us, we are like very interactive. And that's one of the biggest uh, culture shock for me. On the other side, coming from poverty, <laughs> there's plenty in America. <laughs> and uh, I usually tell something funny, but it's true for me when I, I came here and I was taken to a golden corral where there was lots of food to eat. <laughs> if you don't know, golden corral's a really big buffet, like huge. I'm like, how how do you take me from this community where I didn't have anything and then I'm in a place where there's plenty of food? Even right now, I feel bad when I see people, they have a big plate of food, then they don't finish their food, then they, they're okay to throw the food. And I come from a place whereby, no, 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 you don't ever throw food because you don't even have enough. And in America, that's one of the things like people are like, you know what, I had enough, that's it. And so those are some of the things. I think the biggest of them is how people don't live as a community. Coming from a place whereby I know the power of the community. I know what the community can do. Just working together. It's not a matter of uh, how much I have, but how can we share? How can we be there for each other? And when people think of that, they think of just money. No, it's not only money. Even just just being together and just having conversations, would have conversations and then you'd realize, wow, I didn't know you were going through that. I'm actually going through that. And then we can have a conversation about that. How can we help each other? I actually did this. And so out of that, we, we find ourselves, we are very open-minded. We actually speak about stuff, you know, openly. But then uh, I came and I found a closed culture where people are keeping it to themselves. I'm going to tell you one, one last thing that, was very different. Uh, it's uh, when when people uh, there was a we lived in California for I lived in California for like a year and a half. So one time uh, I was told about a a lady that lost her husband, and so we saw her on Sunday, and she lost her husband a day or two before, or mm-hmm. maybe I don't know, just a few days. But then she's in church. I asked the family that I was staying with, "What is she doing in church?" And the the family was like, "No." They are coming to church because, you know, they have to come to church. But I'm like, no, no, no. Where I come from, we go to them because they just mm-hmm. they just went through a biggest loss. So we go to them and, and, and comfort them and be with them. Actually, every day there's always people in the house, like throughout until the burial and a few days after the burial. And what we do is that, well, we go there, you know, if it's a parent who, a mother who had kids, uh, we help them take care of the kids. We cook, cook for them. We are there singing. Just, you know, you, they have just lost somebody. So there's a big vacuum. So you can never really feel the vacuum, but just being there for them and during that moment. But then she told me that here, people like to keep it to themselves, especially this time, they need their own time. I'm like, no, no, no. Where I come from, 
you actually need people. And so that's, yeah. that was one of the biggest shock. I'm mm. like, how do you, how do you live in this house all by yourself? And you just lost somebody. The thoughts, you'll have to be thinking about it and all that. But then when people come, you, you joke, you laugh, you sing, you praise, you worship, and it's not going to heal it, but at least it's going to do something to you. So that by the time the burial is done and, you know, it's fading away, of course, at some point, you're still going to feel it. But I feel like with that, we're able to at least, the impact is not going to be as huge as, just leaving you all by yourself. Why does that change things for people? It changes it changes things because you know, first of all, you're not alone. Um, and part of our message is like, you know what, your husband or whoever you've lost, they may have gone, but we're still here. Mm. Uh, we may not be able to fill their shoes, but uh, there are they're, they're men there who can say, hey, if you ever need somebody to talk to your children, uh, I'm, I'm there for you. If you ever have, uh, uh, I also visited another lady here who, her husband left and she's older. She can't even put on, like her house is so dark. Even the, the lights outside, they're not on. And when I ask her what, what's the problem, she's like, oh, since my husband died, I don't, I can't get up there. You see such things when the community come together, like, oh, okay, what are some of the things that he mm. was, that we can step in and help. So you'll find that there are those things that we can do, not exactly everything that they were doing, but people come together and they help you do some some of a few things so that you're not going to be like, oh man, my life is completely over. But then you're like, oh, yes, he went away or she went away, but I have this neighbor, I have this neighbor, I can always ask them. And we don't feel, personally, I would never feel ashamed if I want. If I need something, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> and that's because of where I come from. Like, hey, I'm, I need this, help me. Because mm. people are going to help you. But then if you don't ask, they're not going to help. And so... That is why it's important to have people coming along. It's not just to come and just sing. It's what else can we have? How can we help you in another way that, you know, you can't do maybe something that he was doing. So there's a lot of whys, but yeah, that's one of them. I am so moved by what you're saying, Jay, because, yeah, I mean, you you are naming so many of the things that I've learned are helpful, which is us asking for help. We don't do that. You're right. That is not American. There's a huge prize on being independent and doing it ourselves and not asking for help, which is so broken. Why do you think it's so different in Nairobi? What what, what do you think is behind it? Why it's so different? You know, I, I was born into it. Like, you know, I was born into a community that was doing stuff like that. One thing I would think maybe it's, you know, the fact that people don't have everything they feel like because of that, we have to stick together. There's a lot of uh, groups that come together. And what these groups do is that uh, they contribute money. And then so we're like, okay, this this week we're going to be giving uh, Jenny like uh, all the money that we're coming together. Let's say we're giving $100, everybody. And then we, uh, at the end of the month, we'll give you that money. Then the, ne- the other month we'll give the other person. that. So what that does is that you're still getting your money back but you're getting a good amount of money at the same time. So if you're doing small businesses, at least you have something that you can start with. So we have learned to have some of this coming together and helping each other. And because they've been beneficial, and even, I'm not going to lie, not everybody in Africa or in Kenya are like that. There are people who try to keep it to themselves. But everybody that has kept to themselves, we normally see what happens when something happens. Like right now, like I said, if somebody passed on, we all gather together. We don't have life insurance. 
So what happens if somebody uh, passed on and there was a lot of huge uh, bill that you had to pay, hospital bill? We come together, we take care of that. If you're getting married and you're like, my budget is like uh, $20,000 and you don't have that $20,000, we come together, we raise that $20,000 and you get married. You're not going to say, I'm not going to wow. get because of that. So if there is uh, something, celebration or sad, whatever that is that is there, we come together and we help each other do that. So I was born into that. And I like it. And it's something that has helped me, which is totally different from when I come here. Like things, people here are very structured. Do you feel hopeless for America? Do you think we could ever learn to live this way? I don't know if I would use the word hopeless, but I would say there's there's something big that Americans miss by the fact that they're not opening themselves to other people. I don't know. Maybe you can tell me one of the reasons why people keep it to themselves. But I would say... There's something that they're missing. And you know, there are some people who are like, oh man, I have a good job. I have a a big family. I have a good family. I don't need the community. And everybody at some point, we need somebody else. And it's something that they don't even realize. Again, people don't even realize that they actually need that. It's only when you hear stories like mine, or maybe you visit places like Kenya, and then you're like, oh wow, these people, they're living together. Now there's a downside to that. Now, if you're open to the community, uh, helping you and being there for you. Be open to me coming visit you without, because that's how we live. Like, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. Are you in the house? Yes, I'm coming. So you have to be open to that. You can't be open to, oh, when we need help, we can ask for your help. But then part of our community is like, oh, I'm just I'm just around the corner. Yeah, come come over. Sometimes you just hear a knock. And, oh, welcome. So it's there's that. And I know Americans are very strict with that. When like you came to my house and you didn't tell me or you were just in the neighborhood. No, no, no. You have to tell me, well, I have to, I have to prepare. I mean, I kind of understand, but what really are you preparing? I'm just coming <laughs> to, to just have a nice, unless you're really, really busy, you're working or you're sometimes it's actually like somebody comes in and you thought you were busy and then you end up having really nice conversation. It's those spontaneous conversations that actually make life, you know, life cannot be so structured. Like you already know how your month is going to be, you know, exactly what you're going to be. So what's the surprise element there? There's nothing for us. We can sit down and talk a lot about stuff that we never planned, but they, they were so much fun. They turned out to be so good. And with that, you're always excited to meet people and go out there. And, you know, it's different here though. You are saying gold right now. I mean, you're right. You're calling us on all of our stuff and you've lived here long enough to know it. So so have you ever seen Americans break through with you and live differently and be open to that? I think unless we live together, like the family I lived with in California, our pastors, they were open to us because they allowed us into their house. It was actually, uh, that's when I had just come from Kenya. It was a friend of mine called Samu and I. So we lived with them for, you know, actually for almost a year. And of course, they knew we were different. They travel a lot. They had traveled uh, to Kenya a lot. So they knew a few things. And so for them allowing us into their house, we brought our African with us. Like we'd wake up and, you know, play our music. Uh, and we we had help in the house. We can cook uh, African food while we are dancing. It's like, it's more like a celebration thing. So they kind of got a glimpse of what we are. And they were very easy with it. They were actually very open with it. Oh, I'm sure they were dancing while you cook for their family. I'm quite sure they were thrilled with your presence. I mean, it's. I just picture Jay. I mean, I kind of want you to say the thing you don't want to say, which is apart from that, you have not, 
you have not experienced that. I want you to say it. I think part of what you're saying is that that one time I did, but pretty much you haven't had that open door in people's lives in America in the same way. And that's true because of now how I know people are. So even my approach now is different because now if I'm coming to you, I have to do the way I know Americans do. Like, hey, uh, on this and this day, are you available? So I I have never tried. So I have not had anybody else being open to that. Jay, if you're ever in Dallas, you don't have to make a plan. Just say, hey, Jenny, are you home? Don't dare me. <laughs> I dare you. Don't, don't dare me because most of them, you do that. And then the day comes, you're like, oh, sorry, I have a podcast. So I, and, and you understand. That's true. We're crazy people. We live busy. We live too busy. That's part of the problem. We don't have margin for that. Like your day is scheduled from morning to evening. And it's like back to back, back to back. By the time you're going to bed, you're like, I don't want to see anybody. So, I mean, people have their own life. But then you come to Africa, we say, no hurry in Africa. What does that mean? Hey, I'm going to take life as it comes, you know? Oh, I know. I've been. You've been? A lot. I've been to Uganda, Rwanda, and we call it African time. That nothing gets done that we need to get done that day. But we had a ball. We need to work on that as Africans a little bit. When it's <laughs> African timing, because it can be too bad. Like, whereby yeah. somebody can be late for like two hours. But the idea is like, it's not too serious. Like, sometimes people are like, man, we're meeting at, at one. Man, if I come one 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 oh five one ten, it's around the same time. As long as I'm, I'm not gonna come two hours late. Of course, there are people who do that. If you go to a Kenyan wedding, you'd hate going to the wedding because the bride always comes late because uh, sometimes they they actually they have to hold the bride because they want to get more uh, more. What is it called? People, yeah. No money. Oh, the, the family can be like, man, this guy did not give enough dowry on the day of. They're like, okay, we need uh, another 100,000. <laughs> and then you have to produce there and then. So so those staff take part. And then they, so that when you go to the a Kenyan wedding, call it a whole day uh, event. Don't be like, I have to go to the wedding. And then, and then after that, have another meeting. Just give it, just give them that day. So Jay, do you feel like loneliness is a problem in Kenya? Are, do people feel lonely there? I would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say lonely. In fact, I think people are more lonely here. Mm. People, are, I'm telling you, if I go to Kenya, like I said, I don't, I don't even need to have plans. Like I can just wake up a day without even having a schedule, and I can promise you, my day is gonna be epic by the end of the day. What do you say? Your day is gonna be epic. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Because the people that I'm gonna meet, I'm gonna like I can go to a restaurant and we friends gather in one place like there. It's not like something that we planned, but we'd find yourself in this place and then conversation. This like now when I I'm going to Kenya in April, is that there are some places I know if I have time and I just want to talk to even friends that I didn't even tell that I'm gonna be there, I go to that restaurant. Somebody people are just gonna be coming. And now here's the thing: I, I grew up poor, but I never grew up lonely. If, if I look back, the only sad part for me was not having food, coming to, to the house and not finding food. But before I come home and not finding food, what I was doing before, I was outside playing soccer with my friends. I was running. I was, I was so happy. But then when I get home, it's like, man, there's nothing to it. That part is sad. But the other parts, never lonely. 
Jay, that's what I felt from our last interview. And that's why I'm having you back. Because it was right at the end that we talked about this. I don't even know if it made the cut on the actual interview. But I saw sadness in your eyes for your girls because they're not growing up in that same culture. Even though you are the poster child of what compassion can do. And it's true because nobody, it's never okay for a child to grow up hungry. That is, and we're going to, we're going to sponsor a lot of kids because of this episode. I believe it. And I believe in that work because that absolutely changed the trajectory of your life. But it is very important and powerful to remember that where you needed food, we need something even more important here. And we are longing and craving something. And this is killing us. I mean, Americans, the amount of suicidal thoughts, the amount of depression, the amount of anxiety, the toll it takes on our health. I mean, it is a health crisis. Certain countries are calling it that finally because they're realizing how isolated their people are and that it's affecting their health in the same way that smoking or cancer or other things would affect them. So talk about just your heart for how we could change that? Like what What could we do? Small things we could do that would bring a little bit of African community to our lives. Well, first of all, I'm going to say there's so many Africans around where you are. Like in Dallas, there's more than 20,000 Kenyans. Uh, that's just Kenyans. So Africans, there are so many of them there. I think if we, first of all, open ourselves to different cultures. Uh, one thing I noticed, and this is, to me, it's sad. When I go to a church, and I see it's all white church. Another one is all black church. Another one is all Asian church. I'm like, what are we talking about? Is That's not how church is supposed to be. Because of where we are, church is supposed to have like a mix of everything. A representation of Christ is a mix of everybody. But that is just a representation of how people live. People are like, you know, white people live on this particular and this what this this is some of the stuff that they do. It's a black culture. This is where they live. This is part of, and it's fine. But where do we find a place where, how do I learn about uh, American? Like, well, for some reason, we, the world is supposed to live like an American, you know, because America is out there. But then how about uh, America open up to, okay, let me try this other food. Let me try this other culture. And then another thing is like stuff like compassion. Sponsoring a kid is uh, you're being a blessing to that child, but don't miss what blessing that child has. In return, that's why compassion asks, asks people to write letters. Get to learn how do they live. Well, and you don't have to hear about the sad part because you've already decided to become a sponsor. Just be interactive more, not, not just, you know, the normal things. Be interactive more. Just You see, like now you want to know more about me from what we had the last conversation. That means you're curious and you want to know more and you want to not just hear, but you want to learn. I think we can learn so much from other cultures. And when you have an opportunity, like a, a sponsored child, that's one way. Another thing is that, man, if you have children, take them around the world, if you can. Like, go visit your compassion child with your children. I would, one thing I'm, I know for sure I'm going to do, my little girls, they'll be going to Kenya. They'll be staying and playing with those kids in the mud. Like, however, how whatever fun they do, that's what, I'm not going to say, no, no, you can't do that. I want her to go and play with them. I want Because I want them to, to learn that, you know what, there's more to life, you know. It's not just this life where life is like this. There are other kids who are, yes, they, they have some needs, but what is their life like? What, what is it that makes them happy every day when they don't have uh, food, they don't have shoes, they don't have mobile phones, 
but what makes them happy what keeps them going i think if we open ourselves to the possibility of what is that culture like what do they and not just wanting to then move away from it just have a friend who is from a different uh, culture sometimes some of them might be uncomfortable but how sure are you that they're not uncomfortable on your side <laughs> you know right it's just that we we both have to be in a place where by uh, like i can tell you for sure like sometimes being in a, somebody who is from an american culture of course i like it uh, it's different but you you can tell the difference between when i'm hanging out with a kenyan and when i'm hanging out with an american when i'm hanging out with an american i'm kind of reserved i'm kind of trying to not to to, uh, to what's the word to make sure that i don't do something that you, it, it's unfamiliar to you that's that's for me to say it in a nicer way but then when i'm in, with my kenyans we are shouting we are loud because i'm free right here so what is it that happens in between we are by am i trying to be like an american or can i be just an african with an american and can the american be okay with me being an african among them because there's so much we can learn from each other and that so i'm telling you like if you're open to everybody you can understand the culture different food different how do they do stuff you know you you learn about their culture and their, you take the good and you leave the bad the bad basically just like we do in america you know there's so many good things in america but there are so many things that are not so good so you can't take all of it what is the good that you can take what's the other stuff that you know what don't worry about that mm. well you're right because this whole project for me was inspired by being in uganda and rwanda and seeing people live together because they had to survive together right and i and i saw that over here we don't need each other and so everything you're saying from I mean, one of the things I, I recommend in the book is you need to have a restaurant, a go-to where they know your name and and what you order, like you know their names and you, you know, frequent and see friends there. And that that's a huge goal that I have for people. And then another one is just having an open door that you're not afraid to stop by and bring a meal last minute and paper plates and say, hey, I don't care what you're doing. I'm coming in. And and it's almost being invasive here. It certainly is. And it can almost seem rude. But I just say, let's risk it because this is ridiculous that people are so lonely and isolated. It's not working. So let's try something new. Let's shake it up. And maybe we just get a little more African in us. Jay, that's what I'm saying. And, and, I, and I think and I think an idea may be like, you know, how about you have a group of people who are like, hey, I'm okay to try that. Like, let's try this experience for a couple of months, like whereby, you know, I can stop by any time. And, you know, you see how that's going to be. If it grows to be something that people like, or you can, okay, we like it. You know, you can try something. That's right. Something like that. Because Well, like- here's what's happening, Jay. So the, the book is, it does tell the story of a lot of different cultures. And I think you're exactly right that that's how I've gotten exposure to how we were doing it wrong, is I saw it in other cultures. And so my suggestion is, all of you read it together, gather your friends. Don't just read this by yourself because you're going to be awkward about it. But if a bunch of you do it together and say, let's try this, let's live this way and see if it changes things, it will change things. And you won't be sad, I promise, because this is how my friends are. And at first it felt overwhelming. And then I realized, oh gosh, this is living. This is this is life. And it's such a richer, better way to live 
Jay, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so grateful for you. And guys, if you have not sponsored a Compassion Kid, or even if you have, we have multiple kids' pictures on our, our bulletin board here because we believe in child sponsorship through these incredible organizations like Compassion. Compassion works with local churches. Compassion works on the ground to build independence, um, not just to stay there forever, but they have an exit strategy so that the communities are self-sustaining for these kids. And, and I love their vision. I love their passion. Jay, what would you say to anyone right now that's thinking about it? Like, oh, I, I maybe I should sponsor a kid. I've never done it. What would you say? Well, um, for the part whereby we talked about the sad part, imagine a kid who is so happy, but then this small part in life that is making them feel as though they are nobody just because they can't find something to eat. And just because, you know, we don't tell each other that we love each other. And so you being a sponsor, you're coming in to help in that particular part whereby you can tell this kid, man, you actually have a good life. You know, if this is what's worrying you, let's take care of this. But then the most important thing is that you're giving them an opportunity to hear about Jesus. You let them know that, you know, what, there's somebody called Jesus and he loves you no matter what. And so and just like we spoke, it's also an opportunity for you to learn about other cultures. And so this is an opportunity for you to minister to this kid but at the same time, for you to be opened up to the to the rest of the world and understand how the other world lives. And because of such things, people like me are now here talking to you and I'm alive, I have a family. And so this is an opportunity to actually change life and, you know, give some kids an opportunity just like I was given. Jay, thank you so much for being here today. You've challenged me in just the little bit of time we've gotten to know each other. I'm so grateful. And I have a feeling your story here and in the book are gonna challenge a lot of other people too. So we trust Compassion. I have been on the ground with them. My husband and I sponsor a little girl named Chanceline, and it has been a gift to partner with Compassion multiple times. And I have seen that work be redemptive to the whole community. It isn't just changing that family. Compassion gets on the ground and they serve the entire community. And so what I want you to do is I want you to pull out your phone and open up a text and send the name Jenny, J-E-N-N-I-E, to 83393. And you are going to get a text back with a picture of a child and a link. This is amazing. And I mean, you podcast community have already stepped up in this world. I just am imagining 500 of you saying yes, and I will sponsor a kid. You can also go to compassion.com slash made for this. And you can choose exactly which boy or girl that you want to sponsor. And Compassion is going to send a, a gift to you when you do this. This story that, that you're a part of. I mean, you can't know how it will change the trajectory, not just of a life, but of a family and of generations. We believe in the local church and we believe in ministries that support the local church. And so all of you listening right now, just know that this work is real. 80% of what we give to Compassion goes directly to Chanceling, to our, to our sponsored child. And I'm so grateful for that. Their work is incredible. And I just want all of us to get behind it in every way we can. Yeah.